you're up. All right, thanks. Is it going? All right, can I put this in my pocket? Sweet. Good morning. How are y'all? Awake? You might be snoozing in a few minutes. We'll see. Uh, uh, so I'm Michael Van Heis. I'm the preaching apprentice here. Uh, I did my undergraduate at Abilene Christian University, uh, or as Eric and I call it, behind closed doors, the University of the Elect. Um, uh, I'm, I've done some graduate work there as well. Uh, a little bit about me, I have a passion for both Christian ministry and theology. Uh, my passion for theology stems from obvious nerdiness, but also stems from how it helps me make, make better sense of my adoption. And I think theology helps us uh, make sense of our wounds if we let it. And so uh, my passion as a minister has helped uh, provide the church with the space and resources to make better sense of their faith and uh, their own wounds as they try to follow Jesus. So just wanted to give you a little about that before we dive in. And I'm really excited about talking about the Trinity. This is the, the second time I've done this before, so it could all go downhill, so we'll see. Uh, but um, I don't know, growing up in church, I don't remember many lessons on the Trinity, and the ones I do remember were quite terrible. Uh, is, if your experience is similar to mine, uh, whenever we hear that someone's about to preach on the Trinity or teach about the Trinity, we begin to zone out. Uh, uh, and, and understandably so. So, okay, prior to coming to Highland, I was a interim preacher for a small church in Temple, Texas. And uh, while I was there, I had this great idea that I was going to preach on the Trinity one Sunday. And so I did all my research. I did a lot of stuff with it in graduate school. So I knew I was going to preach the best sermon ever, right? And to my surprise, my sermon was met with daydreams and snores and just blank faces. And even more, um, the problem with that sermon wasn't, be wasn't that I didn't do enough research or I didn't have any passion. The problem was that it was quite unintelligible when you listened to it, right? Uh, and even, even when I listened to that sermon a week later, I had no idea what I was trying to say. So uh, that's why usually we want to zone out with the Trinity, right? Okay. Uh, much discussion about the Trinity uh, or the doctrine of the Trinity uh, is really theoretical, right? It's really hard for us to make sense of this abstract doctrine because it's, it's not easily connected to our day-to-day -day lives, right? Is that, or would we be in agreement with that? Um, we aren't accustomed to thinking about how God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is at the center of when we wake up and what we do from day to day. Usually, we just kind of think about Jesus, right? And so uh, what I want to do today is I hope to show you how the Trinity is intimately connected with your everyday experience as a Christian. And what's at, and more specifically, I want to show you what's at stake if you do not believe that God exists as three in one. That, to me, helps us get to the more um, relevant part of the Trinity, 
Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, and so what I'm going to do in this class is we're going to go over what the doctrine is, basic principles of it. Then we're going to go over a couple objections to it. And if that doesn't interest you, uh, we will uh, go just hold on uh, or pay, stick with me until the end of class because that's where I think uh, where we'll talk about how it's really relevant for our lives. Okay? We good? That's the order of class today. Uh, first of all, okay, in 30 seconds or less, can someone summarize in their own words uh, the doctrine of the Trinity? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is it, is it, um, mother, daughter, you know, spirit, or is it father, son? What are the names of the three persons? Yeah, so father, son, and spirit. Okay, there we go. I was really dumb. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, yeah, so, uh, the doctrine of the Trinity is, uh, says that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, the Father is not the Son. Uh, the Father is not the Spirit. The Son is not the Father. And the Son uh, is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. The Spirit is not the Son. Actually, there's a slide. I forget. My bad. Boom. There you go. That's a very easy way of kind of wrapping our mind around what the Trinity is. You have God in the middle, which signifies one God and then the three distinct persons of the Trinity represented in the triangle. Uh, this does not mean that there are three separate gods. The distinction of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is not a difference in, in essence or substance. There's not three different persons, or three different gods, sorry. There's not three different gods. Uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are co-equal, uh, co-eternal, and they share one divine nature. They share whatever it is that makes God God, that's what they share. And, that, and whatever makes God God is uncreated, undivided, unchanging, it's not made of any parts, it's one. Right? Last week you talked about the uh, attributes of God, right? And so uh, the teacher last week went over some of these, so that, that shouldn't sound too unfamiliar. Uh, okay, so that's, that's basically the doctrine of the Trinity, the basic principle of it. Are we still with me? We're not lost yet? We're all good? Okay, great. You get an A+. Um, the doctrine of the Trinity is a central doctrine for the Christian faith. Uh, for, uh, for, and most denominations hold that principle. That is a central doctrine, a central teaching. Uh, for example, take uh, Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, Episcopalians, Methodists, Evangelicals. The Trinity is at the center of their Christian belief. However, for Churches of Christ... Actually, I want to. I'll, I'll see if, you're, if this will be interesting. Is it a requirement for churches of Christ to believe that God exists as three in one? 
since you asked it, I guess not. <laughs> no, right. Yeah, I kind of gave away my cards there, didn't I? Uh, but yeah, churches of Christ, we don't have to affirm that God exists as three and one because one of our biggest strengths in churches of Christ is our independence, our autonomy. No creed but Christ. Have you heard of this before? Growing up in churches of Christ, right? No creed but Christ. You know, don't, it's all about the B-I-B-L-E, right? That's the book for me. Okay, we're not governed by anyone or anything other than the Bible. And while that is a great strength of ours, uh, it also is... Our independence is also our greatest weakness because it precisely allows for some people to not believe that God is three in one. And uh, in the olden days, we call that heresy. And uh, hopefully I'll show you by the end of class why that's such a big deal. Uh, And so we're going to talk briefly about two reasons why Uh, someone would not affirm God as three in one. And the first reason why we don't affirm that God is three in one or why someone might not affirm that God is three in one is is called the logical problem of the Trinity. Okay, participation time. One plus one plus one equals? Exactly. How can you make sense of three people three persons, and yet still call that one. That is very illogical, right? And you can say, well, you're talking about God. Well, if you're a mathematician, that makes no sense to you, right? Um, So ways in which we try to make better sense of this is we try to employ uh, analogies. Can someone tell me what an analogy is? A comparison between yes exactly uh, an analogy is a comparison between two unlike things concept things or persons and we employ or we use analogies not because they accurately depict God's nature but we use analogies because they have extraordinary explanatory power you with me okay uh, they help us grasp a little bit of God's nature uh, even if it's just a little bit, right? We all realize in here we can't fully know what God is in his divine mysteriousness, right? Like, we, that's a base, basic presumption. However, that doesn't mean we can't get a little bit if we think hard enough. Uh, so typically, one tries to answer the logical problem uh, by using analogies to help show how it is possible that something with, uh, th- with a threefold distinction can be Use as can be actually one thing. So, if you've heard lessons on the Trinity before growing up, you might be familiar with the analogy of the egg, egg the analogy of the water, water, right? Uh, and the analogy of the apple, right? Um, I was reminded of that uh, last night. And uh, so you can use one of those. We can go through all those analogies, um, but those analogy, all analogies fail, but those uh, could all have really big pitfalls. And 
I'm, I don't want to bore you with those, so we're not going to go over them. Just trust me, they have pitfalls, right? So instead, what I did is um, I brought out my inner youth minister. And you can thank yourselves, because I guess technically you bought this, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> but uh, we're gonna, I'm going to pass these fidget spinners out as another analogy for the Trinity. And while we do that, I have a clip uh, that we can show from uh, Stephen Colbert's show, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. So how about that? Unless a higher authority weighs in. Hey, oh, 
Isn't that awesome? Okay, so the logical problem of the Trinity is you have three persons, yet you still call it one God, right? And so we try to answer that by using analogies like the egg or the apple or the wa or water. Uh, so I, I kind of want to just give these fidget spinners to you. So one, if you get bored during class today, you can play with them, but Two, um, whenever your kids start asking about God, this is a helpful way of explaining how three things can be one. Obviously, they don't explain everything, but you know you can also give this to your kid and say, "Here you go." So, bonus for y'all, I guess, right? Um, uh, I think this is an interesting way to answer the logical problem of the Trinity: how three things can be one. Uh, I think the video uh, explained it really well. Um, if, and again, if you think about it long enough, you'll probably find a problem with it. But anyway, so hopefully that's helpful to you. Very practical way, uh, thing to help you. And speaking of youth ministry, a few years ago, I was a youth, I need to put this away or I, okay. <laughs> um, speaking of youth ministry, a few years ago, I was a youth ministry intern for a church far away from here. And one of the, one of the ministers on staff uh, had some graduate school education like I did, and we were taught, and, and and this would lead us into very provocative, interesting conversations about God. And throughout all of our conversations about God, I just remember one of them being heretical, and that was the day when he told me he did not believe that God exists as three and one. And to be fair to him, this has been years, so his belief could have changed, hopefully. Uh, but even not, uh, his belief in not, in not affirming that God is Trinity comes from a place of sincerity. And uh, you find this a lot in Churches of Christ, especially old school Churches of Christ, because the word Trinity is not in the Bible. And, um, and I, 
and that is true. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. And, and this is primarily the second reason why someone in Churches of Christ, at least, might not confess that God is three in one. It's not in the Bible. It's not evident in the Bible. And uh, so let's, before we look at the passages, let's just let's be clear about a, few, a couple of things, right? First of all, the Bible was written over a... a long period of time written by several authors that all had their own agendas or aims or audiences right paul's objective in in timothy to timothy is not the same as this letter to the philippians right does that make sense okay so um i say that to say that there are a lot of statements about god in scripture right but there is not a systematic explanation or kind of like, you know, a, a coherent understanding on, of how to make sense of all those sayings about God, right? That's why we need ministers and theologians today to help us try to make sense of that, right? And so, um, however, it seems, to, it seems to me that we can arrive at the teaching that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by just looking at what Jesus says uh, even though you can, ha- there's plenty of passages in the Old Testament and New outside the Gospels that can indicate that God's three and one. But just for the purposes of time, let's just think about what Jesus says. Uh, and uh, I think the Gospels sh- can sh- clearly show us that Jesus, in his life and teachings, reveals to us the saving knowledge of God, that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And uh, Jesus does not give us a theory about what that means, uh, nor does he show us how it's possible that you can have three in one. But instead, he reveals to us that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Okay. If I'm losing you, I'll try to make sense. Okay, so... Uh, if you can get to the slides, or sorry, can someone read these verses? Therefore, go and make the disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 19. That's our class motto, right? Lord God. Mm. That's FYI. Nice. A statement on the Trinity. <laughs> Look at that. You're going to heaven already, you know. Um. Yeah, okay, so uh, can you read the next verse as well? Yeah, you, you aren't doing the talking, but the Spirit of my Father is doing the talking through you. Okay, so um, uh, Spirit of God is in the Holy Spirit in the disciples. All right, next, can I get the next slide? We're just going to go through these verses real quick. Okay, can I have another reader? So, pretty clear, all three, Jesus kind of talks about all three, the Son, the Father, and the Spirit. Cool? All right, next, next slide. We're just going through these rapidly. Can someone read this slide, please? I and the Father are 
who have loved you remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. When the companion comes, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. Okay, yeah, all right. So the primary, primary point, just going through all those verses real quick, was just to show that Jesus mentions explicitly Father, explicitly Son, explicitly Holy Spirit. Jesus is not giving us an explanation about how that is possible. He's just saying it's the case that God exists as three in one, right? Uh, and thousands of years later, the church tries to make sense of that. And they come up with teachings like the Trinity, okay? And so uh, uh, we're, that's all I wanted. To, that's basically my only point with all those verses, okay? All right, so we've gone through the logical problem, right? And we answered the logical problem by using analogies. Uh, there's also the word Trinity doesn't exist in, in the Bible. Therefore, we look at Scripture to see where those inklings are. And uh, uh, we try to make sense of it that way. So that's how you can answer someone who, who you may know who might not be a Trinitarian. Okay, so that's kind of the standard way that the Trinity is taught, right? This is kind of a replication of how I was taught the Trinity growing up in youth group. Um, but those are just like appetizers to me. I think there's like a bigger and more practical implication to why uh, the Trinity is the most important doctrine out of all of the doctrines you'll ever study. And in order to see that, you need to first see what's at stake if you don't consider any one of the three as not God. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so let's do a thought experiment. If the Father is not God, then that means one of two things. Either one, the Father was created by something else that is not him, or two, he doesn't exist. Uh, right, because uh, recall that God is uncreated. Remember the attributes class from last week? God is uncreated, no one created God, God always is, right? God always exists. Uh, and God's existence is not dependent upon anyone or anything. If God's existence depends upon something else, then that must mean that something else, whatever it is, is greater than God. Which means he's lesser. And why would we worship a God who is lesser than whatever? I want to figure out what the thing is that made God, if that's the case, right? Okay, so if the Father is not God, then that's a big problem for us. We all on board? Okay, secondly, if the Son is not God, then that means that there's nothing really distinctive or special about his life, about his death, and about his resurrection. Right? If, let's just say, for sake of example, you don't think Jesus is God. Well, then, uh, there's no way in which uh, his sacrifice means anything, right? Eric, actually, Eric has a great sermon on that coming up in connection if you haven't heard it yet. So I won't, I won't preach your sermon, even though it's tempting to. <laughs> I can try. Yeah, I can try whether or not I'll pass. Um, 
well, it's a whole nother thing. Uh, uh, yeah, so um, if, if the Son is not God, how else will our sins be redeemed, right? So that's pretty problematic. And, and it seems to me, now I might be wrong, that for churches of Christ, we're all good with the Father, we're all good with the Son, right? It's that spirit that we're unsure about, right? So, quick story. Last week or a few weeks ago, Chris told me, we were talking about the Trinity, and Chris told me that after one of his sermons on confirmation series, which is not really about the Trinity, some guy comes up to him after early service and is like, uh, do you think the Holy Spirit is a person or a power? And Chris, and was, Chris, Chris was like, I think the Holy Spirit is a person, part of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And this guy, whoever this person was, I don't know, but begins to recite all the reasons why he thinks the Spirit is a power, as if he was going to convince anyone in like five minutes, right? So um, we're unsure of, about what, it, what the Spirit is a lot. So hopefully, hopefully this will make sense. If the Spirit is not God, then that means we have no way of living into our salvation in the here and now. Does that make sense? If the Spirit is not God, we have no way of accessing or living into our salvation in the present moment. So, in this, what I mean by that is ex- experiencing our salvation is not just something that we get when we die, right? That's kind of the way we were brought up. What happens when we die? We go to heaven. That's where our salvation, that's why you get dunked in the water, right? But it seems to me that uh, that's not really the case. Think about how someone's baptized, right? They say what? I baptize you in the name of what? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right. And then upon your baptism, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So uh, as we rise upon the water, we are gifted with the person of the Holy Spirit who indwells in us. Right? Uh, And that Spirit gives us access to God's grace, God's love. It enables us to do all the things that we are called to do uh, that Jesus wants us, that calls us to, right? Um, if so, if the Spirit's not God, if the Spirit's not really indwelling us, in us, then how would we ever access our salvation? Another way of putting this, it, putting it, is like this. Remember that Paul says this sometimes. Paul says that in Second Corinthians, the love of Christ compels us. So, uh, what an interesting reading of that passage can be something like this. What is the love of Christ? The, the love of Christ can be read as the Holy Spirit. So, one way that an ancient theologian or medieval theologian puts it is that the Holy Spirit is the love between the Father and the Son and comes from the Father and the Son and dwells in us at our baptism. And because of we have love indwelling in us, and because love indwells in us, we are enabled or empowered to love our neighbors and love ourselves or love God. Does that make sense? Without the Holy Spirit, 
we will not be able to fulfill the greatest commandments rightly. Spirit is slowly transforming us by compelling us into becoming what we were called to be in the first place, love. Um, in addition, the Spirit does a lot of other things, right? The Spirit prays on our behalf. Romans 8, right? The Spirit groans on behalf of us. Um, I don't know. So, any other thoughts so far before? I'm almost done, I think. Mm-hmm. Same sort of lines. I think there's this desire as practical people to seek out the fruits of the Spirit without giving credit to the Spirit, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like, well, how do I become more peaceful or more loving or you know, gentle? Or, mm-hmm. that's, that's sort of a you know, downstream concern, the mm-hmm. upstream issue is how do I become more filled with the Spirit mm-hmm. and in that way inherit those gifts? Mm-hmm. Be filled with more of those gifts, yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think one way is that you're already filled with the Holy Spirit, right? You're already, you already have, you, if you've been baptized, right, and done the, right? It, you have the Spirit in you, and, and the, the, Spirit, the Spirit is God. God is the epitome of power, right? So by pleading on behalf to the Spirit, to help us love our neighbors well, to help us love our spouses better, our kids better, right? Uh, we can't do that better without the Spirit, as far as I can tell, as if you're a Christian. Um, our very existence uh, as Christians, our very identity as Christians, our very purpose as Christians, and our salvation depends on God's, the Holy Spirit being God. And that is why the Trinity is not just this abstract concept that you, uh, when you think of, you know, academics or theologians just talking about this in their cubicles, right? That happens. I am one of those folks. However, it's not just a distant concept. It relates to the, the very moment you wake up, that is where you experience God as three in one. Um, 
So on one hand, I think, uh, I think in that book it even says that the distinctions in God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean three different gods. It is uh, distinctions in how God relates to God's self, right? Uh, and I don't, it's, it's about the relationship between the Godhead. Whatever that means, I don't know. But that's kind of one way you can answer why they have different names insofar as it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What do you think? What do you think? Well, the sun comes from, I think in tradition set, the tradition says that the sun is not made. The sun begotten, the way they take that word is it comes from the Father. Right? The Father doesn't come from anyone. And again, it, the, that language is, um, how do I say this? is particular to the Trinity in and of itself, right? Or at least that's how people try to make sense of that. There's a particular grammar that you have to learn and, uh, when you study the Trinity. And so that's, that's as best as I can answer it without I mean, getting you, too abstract. You yeah. One about the word, you know, being with God. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so if you want to go that, that route, okay, so I don't know, I don't want to get ran out of the room if I say this, okay? So do not chase me out of the room. There was never a time that the Son of God did not exist, right? The Son of God always existed. There was a time in which Jesus did not exist, right? Because Jesus is the incarnation of the Son. So I think your question is a good one. It's actually, that's what the 19 Council is about. Mm. This big church council and I don't know, 314, something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the, uh, the question is, how does the Son relate to the Father? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this is a perfect analogy, but so that's Arianism. This idea like the Son is distinct from the Father and it comes after the Father. So the analogy with the church fathers the council was actually the Son itself. Nice. And so the idea that the Father is the Son S-O-N, right? Um, I'm sorry, S-U-N, okay? And the, the sun is the light coming from, okay, so Jesus, <laughs> the, the S-O-N is the light coming from the star of the sun. So there never was a time when the star existed when the light beam did not also exist. Mm-hmm. But the light beam is dependent on the star. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So the light beam is the sun, the second person of the Trinity. The star is the father, the first person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All analogies break down, but I think that specific question, that analogy is really helpful. Yeah. So the son, the second person of the Trinity, is dependent on the father, but he, he, the father just never existed without the, the second person of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. The second person of the Trinity never existed without the father. Mm-hmm. Is, is Jesus not all-knowing if he doesn't know when he's coming back? So I think Michael's is helpful here. The second person of the Trinity is all-knowing, mm-hmm. but Jesus is the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity. In human nature, Jesus of Nazareth. There were times when Jesus, in his human nature, um, developed and grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God. And so, how the Trinity would interact in human form, I think there's some mystery there, but I, I don't think it's heresy to say that the second person Trinity would grow, um, he would, would be revealed over time more fully in, a, in human form. 
So like that's how we make sense of 12-year-old Jesus at the temple learning while the second person of the Trinity is fully incarnated. Yeah, so one church father by the name of Gregory of Nyssa makes sense of the incarnation by saying, you know, like you said, uh, uh, how do you make sense of the divinity humanity of Christ, right? And uh, so one theory is, is that the divinity slow, so you have the incarnation, fully God, fully human in one person, right? And over time, his theory is that the divinity slowly takes over the humanity of Christ all the way up until his resurrection, or to the cross. And so at the cross, you see this, you hear him say, and Eric's preaching on this today, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? And for whatever reason, at the cross, the divinity of Jesus is, is blocking it out, or that's at least one theory, whether or not it's true. I don't know, but that is that too technical and yeah. I'm talking about the Trinity. Yes, yeah, sorry. So anyway, that's a great, great question though. I think to Clint's point, the, the word begotten brought into the mind. Mm-hmm. And part of that's limitations of language. Mm-hmm. Talking about holy mysteries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can hold that un- God is uncreated while at the same time saying begotten or the Son comes from the Father somehow. So anyway. I think Paul sums it up really well in Philippians chapter 2 as well where he talks about Christ being emptied mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Yeah, he empties himself, doesn't consider equality with something uh, to be grasped with God. He takes the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Mm-hmm. Human form, humbled himself, becomes obedient. Mm-hmm. And so he maybe not allowing his full divinity to be in his human form. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if Jesus had been fully divine, it wouldn't have meant a whole lot. Right. I mean, that's the, I think mm-hmm. that's the need for that mystery or that kind of, and I think that's pretty clear. I mean, in the way in which he didn't know everything completely, or the way that he still struggled with decisions that if he were fully the second person of the Trinity, that he wouldn't have struggled with. You know, asking for a cup to pass from him wouldn't make a lot of sense if he was the one passing the cup to himself. You know, um, and I'm not acting like that's an easy question. I think it's a question people have struggled with. You know, for hundred years, but. Um, I think obviously there's a there's a struggle between the divinity and the humanity of Christ that you see throughout his whole ministry. We'll have a class on the incarnation in a couple of weeks. The incarnation and the Trinity are closely related. They're almost kind of the opposite of each other. Um, like that. So I guess my goal today was just to help try to show that I mean a lot of what we just talked about the past ten fifteen. 15 minutes was very abstract and so what I was just trying to do at the end of you know going through the traditional reasons why we're not Trinitarians and then kind of just try to draw us back into uh, life from day to day right all of us are trying just to make it at some point in our life right like we're just trying to do better right we're trying to be less angry we're trying to be more patient we're trying to you know whatever your own thing is right 
And so um, I think part of what makes this, or actually what makes this better, is the Spirit who indwells in us. And, who, and I think you have to say the Spirit is God, uh, not, not only because our salvation depends on that, but the way in which we live into our Christian identity depends on that as well. So hopefully that puts something that's really abstract a little bit more concrete for you. So, Sarah, if you got any more questions, we can do it, but I don't know what time it is. So. I think we're good. All right. You did great. Cool. Can I get the... Yeah, man. Michael has two mics on. I don't need yeah. that one. Oh, yeah. Let's see.